0: I can't put a box around anyone's dream. It disvalues their own culture and their own belief structure. And, you know, and it can complicate their grief in many ways. So now, so I've learned along the way. And that's what one of the things I've seen a lot of, you know, when I first started the field and as I continue, that people keep trying to put boxes around things. I know it's easier because people do have questions about the topic a lot, but it's just allowing people to sit in the mystery. And I always say, if, you know, is it comforting? Yes. Well, then if it's comforting, just follow your heart. You know, if it's not comforting, let's work on the distress and see if we can work through that in some way.
1: That's Dr. Joshua Black, researcher, teacher, and consultant on the subject of grief dreams and host of the Grief Dreams podcast. I had so much fun having this conversation. I thought that diving into the subject of grief dreams might be pretty heavy and that I might get choked up Uh, I've definitely been moved to tears more than once listening to his podcast but I found this conversation to be so full of life and really stoked my curiosity I think it will for you as well I really appreciate Joshua's combination of this compassionate curious mind ready to inhabit the mysterious symbolic space of dreams and also His way of bringing a methodical, discerning, researcher-style thought process to all of this. I want to really highlight the respect that's threaded through for the dreams and for the dreamer. And the idea of really taking care and being discerning about presuming that we know anything that we really don't know. There's so much... That we don't know and we need to leave that open he talks a few times about the example of trying to say whether or not a dream of a deceased loved one could be called a visitation or not and whether the dreamer finds it very comforting or finds it terrifying or something else to think that this dream is a visitation to make a lot of room to support them through that and not necessarily try to Label, a dream is one thing or another. We cover so much in this conversation, but we do not cover it all. Joshua and I kept talking after I stopped the recording, and maybe one day we'll do a follow-up episode because there are so many more stories and insights. If you want to hear one really beautiful recent dream story, you can check out episode 197 of the grief dreams podcast that came out around the time of this recording the dreamer jessica klontz shares her own experiences and perspectives on supporting people at end of life that's part of her work she's really enjoyable to listen to and the dream she shares and the gift within it are so beautiful she has a dream of her grandmother and this beautiful dream includes something that I love to pay attention to and sort of harvest and soak up from a dream, which is when there's a quality in the dream that feels really good, feels really healing and is something that the dreamer might want to go back to. Those of you who've joined me for dreams for healers know that I like to take special notice of anything in a dream where during the dream and or imagining it later brings some kind of relief or opening or new sense of a positive shift in the body so the shoulders drop or it's easier to breathe or just feeling a little more alive or like everything's going to be okay to repeat that experience to imagine it again because that's so very real those are physical changes mental energetic emotional changes and we can repeat those and soak those up and this dream that he interviews Jessica Klontz about has a quality like that. So something to check out if you want more after this one. One last quick note, in addition to one-on-one work and members groups, I'm hosting more public dream groups, which are a blend of creative expression inspired by dreams. We've been doing creative writing and and or drawing prompts, whatever is more exciting to you in the moment writing or drawing and expressing ourselves creatively as inspired by dreams both to create and to get to know the dream a little better sharing that creative work with one another and then a deep dive in the projective dream work style on one dreamer's dream so space is very limited in those groups to keep the conversation deep and the connections rich I'd love to have you join one. You can check out upcoming dates at thedreamersden.org slash dreamgroups. And now, episode 30 with Dr. Joshua Black. You're listening to the Dreamers Den Podcast. I'm your host, Leilani Navarre. I'm here along with guest dream workers, authors, and teachers to talk about diving deep into your dreams. We're skipping the small talk and going for conversations about what matters most to us, what's touching us so deeply that it shows up in our dreams, in one form or another. We talk about engaging with dreams to experience insight, inspiration, healing, and meaningful connection with one another. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can catch all these conversations. Visit thedreamersden.org slash open for a free video and mini book I put together to help you learn more about opening up or deepening your own relationship with your dreams. My guest today is Dr. Joshua Black. He is a grief researcher specializing in grief dreams. You may have come across him before as the host of the Grief Dreams podcast. He's also a speaker, author, consultant, and online course instructor. As one of the world's leading academic experts in grief dreams, he's focused his research on dreams of the deceased and on continuing bonds from many types of loss, including prenatal loss and pet loss. And there's not a whole lot of other academic research in this field. And Dr. Black has been focusing his efforts on raising awareness about grief dreams through his talks and interviews and his online grief dreams course. So I'm really excited to be talking with him today. Welcome to the Dreamer's Den podcast, Joshua. Thank you so much for talking with me.
0: Well, thank you for having me on and having a platform that cares about dreams.
1: I'd love to ask you first about your care for dreams, just how and when you realized that dreams mattered to you.
0: It probably wasn't, I would say, until uh, when I was done in high school, why i say that is because in the beginning i had a lot of nightmares as a kid and my parents uh, told me those dreams were from the devil and so mm-hmm. i really had a negative view of dreams to begin with because they were so negative and the way my parents explained to dreams to me as it was like a you know the devil that's haunting me in a way
1: mm-hmm. and for me
0: like why would you want to remember those dreams <laughs> you yeah. wouldn't you know and And now I realize it was more based on being in an unsafe environment. My dad had a lot of emotional issues and he drank and then at school I was being bullied. So for me, looking back, I can understand why those dreams were happening. But Mm -hmm. my, my interest in dreams didn't happen until right after I was finished high school, basically. And that's, that's a long period of time to not care, to not even, I don't even remember one dream I had in that time, other than those nightmares Uh as a kid, but so what happened was I, I was uh, dating this individual, and she had to go to a different school, and then, then, and in, the, in the summer, and then she let me know that she cheated on me while she was, you know, at that school. Mm. And it completely broke me. Like I it was the first time I had that kind of pain in my life. I can't even explain what it was, but I wasn't eating or sleeping for like three days. Well, not that I know of, anyways. Um, mm. <laughs> But I was just in this huge, this really dark state and I couldn't get out of it. So much anger um, towards her, towards him. And there's just this feeling was coming up that I've never really experienced to that extent. And I was scared, but I, I also didn't know how to deal with it. All the things that I normally did, didn't like to help my grief or help the, the pain. Yeah. wasn't working, it was still there. And so at that moment, actually, that's when I, uh, I had a moment of surrender where I just said to, I grew up in a Christian home, as I said. So it was more God, but really it was to anyone that was listening, if there was something. And I just said, you know, please help me understand this feeling. I don't like I can't deal with this. I need understanding. And that's when I had my first dream that meant something. And so for me, I'll I'll let you know what the dream was. So I went to bed and I had a restful sleep for the first time said in about you know three days. But the dream, I I not only had a dream, but I knew the dream was meaningful and I understood the meaning of the dream. When I woke up, there wasn't any kind of interpretation that oh. I had to like sit down. And so for me, it was a very magical moment because I, if you would ask me prior to that, I would say dreams are meaningless. Or, and at that time, I wouldn't have said they're from the devil. I just said they were meaningless. And so I'll tell you the dream. So I was a reporter running by this stream and the stream was going above like these hills and like underneath bridges. And it felt like it was like six hours long. I was just continually running, following the stream. And then it opened, and then it went up to this ocean, opened up to an ocean. And I looked around and I saw a pier uh, further away. So I ran to the pier and there was a gentleman standing on there. And I, I went up to the gentleman and I said, where is it, where is it? Frantically asking you know, to find whatever I was looking for. And this guy had this like, really, you know, those people who have wise eyes, like they know stuff, mm-hmm. but, you know, like just, uh, but they're not saying it in a different way. Yeah. So, yeah, I was like, where is it? Where is it? And he's like, well, <laughs> it could be over there. And he pointed to the left of the ocean. It could be over there, point to the right. He said, it could be over there, pointing just straight ahead. And then he turned to me with those wise eyes and said, you know, do you, do you know where, do you want to know where it truly is? I said, yes, yes. Tell me, tell me. And he pointed to his mind and I woke up with a bolt of lightning, which is the craziest experience to just wake up like that. And I knew what the dream meant. And, you know, for someone who just heard the dream, they may say, what does that mean? And like, even for me, I'm like, that's interesting. I even had an understanding of what it meant, but what the dream meant, as I sort of understood it when I uh, came to, was that the pain I was feeling wasn't caused by her action. So it wasn't like him or, or her, like I was blaming. It was something inside. It was my perspective on, on who I saw myself to be. And what it was telling me was that what, what happened brought up a feeling in me that I didn't know was there. And basically it was a feeling of not feeling not, not loving myself. Mm. And her cheating really brought that to the forefront, because then you, you really have you know a lack of self-love <laughs> and you feel that you're yeah. unloved on top of that. But that dream really taught me in, that, you know, I didn't love myself and I was using that relationship as a form of in, to try to inform myself that I was loved. And so for me, the next day I so that completely blew my mind, because if someone would have asked me if I love myself, I would have said yes. But in that moment, I realized no. Wow. So then my next question was, well, then how can I love myself? And that's been my journey throughout and I use dreams a lot to try to figure out not only who I am, but how can I learn to love what is now, what is made, I guess. And that has been a really interesting process throughout, but I really guided, I was really guided through dreams, you know, there on which was really crazy for not caring about dreams to having this dream. And then all of a sudden your life is really using these dreams as a way of guidance to try to help you understand who you are and your, and who you are underneath what you consciously uh, know.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's a, such a powerful dream. And um, I just am likewise amazed at that knowing that instant knowing that it, uh, of what it meant for you, because I think that that transition from how the dream, the imagery the dream shows, and that this figure is pointing out, well, there's a real route to this and I can show you where it is. But to make that transition from that to this is about loving myself, that's so powerful.
0: Yeah, that's, that's what the, it just came. It was just there, it was just present. And I don't see that with a lot of dreams I have. Like sometimes you have to really work with them and, and see how it relates. But this was just the answer was given by the time I opened my eyes, which was the craziest thing.
1: And what do you make of the being a reporter and run, running along a stream to the ocean?
0: I never I don't really know. I never really worked through those, that. OK, imagery. I just OK. Worked. I just got the insight and I sort of went with it. But yeah, no, that probably totally makes sense. Of, of, you know, <laughs> I was like, yeah. I got my answer. I'm out. Right. I, just like, <laughs> I mean,
1: the the dream transformed your life. So that's probably all we can ask for. <laughs> but uh, I uh, I I like the, those details. If if that were my dream, there's something really
0: well, you if you go back you probably sort of see well I was searching for something and a yeah. reporter is someone that's looking for truth and looking for answers so I can understand mm-hmm. why I was a reporter the yeah. stream you know water represents you know many things but you know probably the the um, consciousness or soul or whatever and going into something larger was like my perspective of you know this fine my small sliver of understanding of myself is you know going into this sort of big ocean on who I truly am and then you know, Guide the guide you know, be anything from, you know, the inner guidance to, you know, some sort of, you know, insightful being. Like, I don't really know. Yeah. But it's just like, there's a lot of like little things you could take from it. But yeah, yeah. like if I, you know, looking at that back, I'm like, oh, interesting symbolism. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's just like when I woke up, I'm like, I already, like, I understood the, the point of it all. And mm-hmm. it really mm-hmm. made me focus inwards. And I was doing everything externally. So I was trying to deal with it by, seeing it as an external problem. Yeah. And that's why my pain wasn't disseminating because it was an internal problem. You know, and that's really weird to even think about when it comes to someone cheating on you, that is an internal issue. <laughs> but at that moment, it. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. yeah, and realizing, wow, my perspective has led, you know, in a way to the suffering. And what's really interesting, just to sort of like caveat as we move forward. So I started to, you know, really work on loving who I was and understanding how that cheating was a reflective of, you know, just a sense of lack of love. And so as I r- really worked on that, the next person I dated, which is very interesting in itself, she also then cheated on me. Mm. Right. And what was interesting was the reaction. So, which told me something was something had changed in me in
1: yeah. the
0: sense of how I saw myself, because when she cheated, the first thing I s- I didn't have any kind of negative emotion. I felt like sadness for her realizing that she wasn't cheating on me because I did something wrong per se, or like for revenge, like she was cheating on me because she needed more than one person to feel loved herself. And so I started seeing actions from people as internal stuff, trying to get out externally to, to, you know, try to soothe them, soothe their Mm -hmm. pain in a way. And Mm -hmm. so I didn't take it as a, you know, like an attack. I just really felt a lot of sympathy for the individual and the first thing I asked was, you know, um, do you want to talk about it? You know, like, it was just, like I had no, I, I just saw it with love. I didn't see an, an attack in it. And for me, that's when I realized, wow, I must be doing something right. Yeah. If my initial reaction isn't even pain like that, like I remember having that reaction and saying, what was that? Because I should be mad. <laughs> like, I remember yeah. thinking that, but the action was different. And I'm like, wow, I'm like, I'm doing something right. So I kept going, you know, on that journey as I move forward.
1: That's so beautiful. Uh, to me, the the imagery, and of course, this is my take on my imagined version of your dream, but the imagery of the stream is, you know, brings to mind this idea of all rivers lead to the sea and the this ocean of compassion and that, yeah, I run my stream to the sea, but everybody's running their own stream to the same ocean. She's running her stream, hopefully, to that same ocean. We can all face that issue of self-love I and mean, when we when we peer into it right on the pier when we peer into it it's it's like the place we're all trying to get to
0: I think so yeah yeah and how do you you know the, the hard part is how do you change your perspective to get there because it is it's a very difficult and it's a long journey and I feel very grateful for that dream because I don't know where I'd be without it personally I'd mm-hmm. be chasing a lot of other things I know that um, to try to find happiness or peace but that was like a' it was like a, i leveled up in a way and understanding where to put my attention really early on in life so i wasn't in university at that point yeah and then that helped me under not only value dreams but understand the beauty of what these dreams can do for people
1: and i know that you later had a grief dream that's you know has to do with a a loss but Do you see that as a grief dream as well? I mean, the the loss of that relationship was that does that tie in for you to this process of grieving?
0: Yeah, it's interesting when I because yeah, when we label things, right? So when I label grief dreams, it tends just to be after a death. But yeah, I was definitely grieving a loss in many ways and had a lot of suffering and the dream, you know, definitely helped with that. But I think, you know, they're yeah, they're very similar in I think how they can how. The dreams can process our our emotions. Mm. But I think, you know, it definitely changes when you have a deceased loved one in the imagery in many ways, uh, just based on, you know, people's understanding of what that represents to them. And and especially if they have, if they're religious, what that means to them, where I had an ambiguous kind of figure there that I've never met before. And so the dream was really based on this emotional stuff. But when you have these dreams of the deceased, they tend to have many layers to them and when people wake up there's many layers because one is that they get to see their loved one for another time that they never thought was possible right like when someone dies they're dead but yet there's this moment in time where you're having a new memory of the person and sometimes it's very negative but at most of the time it's a very positive encounter and you're seeing them healthy and happy or the last time you saw them they're usually suffering or Mm -hmm. they're dying and so you know, there's, I think the the imagery is a, a little different in the sense of what it can do for people, but at the main point is that it's, it is helping people, both types of dreams are helping people deal with the suffering.
1: Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about those uh dreams where the deceased loved one appears and kind of what, maybe even more generally what you are mostly looking at when you're looking at grief dreams, when something is a grief dream, right? Because sometimes we might dream of people we've loved who are deceased, but it doesn't quite have that same quality of reconnecting with them. So yeah, would you talk a little bit about those kinds of dreams?
0: Sure. Yeah, I guess I'll go back to and just sort of talk about my my loss just to give people a better understanding of you know my, right. my bias, I guess, coming in. Yeah. And so- you. After my dad died, he died very suddenly, and it completely shook me. I wasn't thinking about death at all in my life <laughs> or that people could die. So mm-hmm. he was the first significant person in my life to die, and I remember just being so sad and so shocked that it happened. At the same time, and I was, as a good male in our culture, I didn't really show. Uh, I didn't cry too much. Uh, I was, you know, like at that time, and so. But the tears that were coming, like what when I had that, that cheating, that was just anger for really most of the part. (laughs) This was like a great, just the sadness, the tears were just overwhelming. And so I, I would cry and I had a, you know, for about three days there. And then once I had to go back to school and work, I stopped crying and I also stopped feeling happy. So I, one would say I would probably be depressed
1: Mm. and
0: I look at it as uh, the best way to describe it is that the color came out of the world that was living. And so that happened for about three months and I just thought this is grief. This is what happens. Like I wasn't trying to fix it or thinking really anything was wrong. I just know this is just how it is now. And then I had a dream of my father. And I think this is one of those moments also that's just so impactful where he, um, I was in my bedroom and he was at the other end and I saw him. He was looking healthy and he was looking Light is the best way to put it. Like I said, like he had a lot of anger issues and he drank to cope. So he had a lot of like trauma too. And just like, you know, physical stuff, ailments that affected him. So he always had this heaviness to him in waking life. And so for me to see him in a way of like just peace and and lightness was, was a very beautiful image. And so I went up to him and I said, I'm going to miss you acknowledging the loss. And I said that I loved him and we hugged and I woke up. And I remember waking up, and once again, I woke up and everything changed. So it's not like I had to interpret the dream to get any kind of satisfaction. I woke up with color in the world. And it was the strangest thing. And I remember sitting at the end of the bed just thinking, what was that? And, you know, and like, because it completely changed me. It did a, you know, I did a 180 with a dream. And so something in the dream was very powerful enough to change how I was processing that grief. And I know looking back, you know, um, being able to say goodbye was probably a block I had, um, but also I never really told him I loved him. The last time probably I did that was when I was in probably elementary school. <laughs> uh-huh. And there's something that he never said to me. I never said to him. It was just like, you know, the way we grew up. Um, but I guess that was something that was really part of my grief. I didn't get a chance to, to express that. But I think also there's this third part of the dream that I still am amazed with, but it's a piece of the dream where you tend to see this a lot. And how impactful I think that can be um, almost as a respite for where you are in life. And I'm guessing there's a lot of beauty that can come from that space. A lot of people call it love. And that love could be, you know, people's strongest medicine in the help, in the change of what's going on inside them and processing their grief. And so there's so that's where like I first came to understand how powerful these dreams were. And I never, you know, the crazy thing is I had that. I went back, you know, like I've still got good grades and, you know, colors back, but I never told anyone. It was mm. the strangest thing. I look back because it's probably said I had that one dream that it was really impactful, but this is probably one of the most important moments of my life. And I didn't, <laughs> like no one really knew. Uh. And so I actually, so I went after I finished school, I never wanted to be a researcher. I actually wanted to be an elementary school teacher.
1: Mm. And
0: then, you know, as I sort of got into the I was going to start the, get into the program and I, I turned it down. I said, it doesn't feel right anymore. And I didn't know why, but it just didn't feel right. I know my dad wanted me to become an elementary school teacher, but mm. uh, maybe because he died and have that pressure anymore, but I didn't know. So I just, you know, I didn't have a plan B. I just went and I volunteered at a local hospice and they started talking about these dreams. So I was doing one-on-one and also group work. And people were bringing up these dreams and they had answers or ask questions I didn't have answers for. And you know, when I went to the research, there wasn't anything I could provide them to comfort them. Like, why wasn't I having a dream or, you know, how come I'm having these negative dreams? Or, you know, what does this dream mean? Like, so there's a lot of stuff around that topic. I just didn't know. And so that's when I had a moment um, of, you know, should I research this stuff or not? And I decided to try it, you know, like <laughs> it took a lot of courage, but I yeah. decided to give it a give it a go because like I said, I wasn't wanting to be a researcher, but you know, maybe this is where life's pointing me and I'm glad I did because I learned so much more about the topic and how little people do know of the topic just by spending what the last eight years researching it in all different forms and hearing about the stories that people have that just you realize how large the territory is and how small Um, a lot of people I think give credit to to what it is a lot of people will focus on um, these visitation dreams Yeah. In many ways. And, but it's so much bigger than that. And that topic itself is so much bigger than what people really talk about it as to be. So what was the initial question?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't remember because now I have 800 more, but um, first I just want to say thank you for sharing the story of that dream of your father. That's really beautiful. I feel really moved just by um, the words I'm going to miss you and the chance to have an embrace like that that seems um, like such a gift. And I mean, clearly it was a healing thing for you. So thank you for sharing that story. Um, And I I had asked you about the different types of dreams, which maybe you were getting towards here at the end to visitation dreams and how big the topic really is. But I'm curious maybe i I won't ask the question actually because you said people were asking you questions you didn't have answers to and you had questions of your own so i'll I'll open it up for you I mean what kind what was the most burning question for you and what kinds of things have you what kinds of answers have you found
0: well one of the the big ones was why wasn't I dreaming of the deceased mm-hmm. and a lot of people put a lot of negative reasons on why that was. so they would say does it mean that they didn't cross over if they're spiritual? Um, does it mean that they're mad at me? I feel it means that they're mad at me because I couldn't you know provide that funeral or had that sell that house after they died because they just couldn't afford it anymore. Or maybe they or maybe they just don't love me anymore and the afterlife has, you know, is something like that. And so you could tell like it was weighing on them and complicating their grief in, in this way. And there wasn't really anything I could provide them because I there was nothing there. So I didn't know. I'm like, I like, and so that was when, you know, one of the big things I went into because if I could find a scientific explanation for that, well then that could minimize the the, the complications that the individual is putting on themselves and maybe we could help them have a dream or maybe we just help them reduce that discomfort so they can actually start processing their grief in some way. And so I did multiple studies on that. You know, one was on spells of loss. The other one was a pet loss. And they both basically said the same thing that, you know, the biggest predictor. And I looked at a lot of things from grief to, you know, personality styles, you know, to age, gender, all this sort of stuff. And so the, the biggest predictor was dream recall frequency in general. So people who are having more dreams in general remember more of these types of dreams. And it seems like that they're more like just catching them than anything. And yeah. so what it was saying to me is that, you know people are first are probably dreaming of the seeds more than they're actually remembering it. Um, but it's tends to be like, so, you know so that's kind of interesting in itself. Yeah. And so when I, when people started coming up to me with those same questions, I always ask them now how often do you remember your dreams? And for the most part, not people say very poorly. And then I can state then, well, how are you supposed to remember one of these types of dreams? And it almost feels like this, like the dots connect, like they don't seem far apart now we're talking, but to a lot of people, even me at that time, I I couldn't connect those dots. It was like a theory, but it's like, oh, that makes sense. You know, so a lot of people now will have this idea, oh, I just don't remember dreams that often. Oh, okay. So it's not that, you know, they didn't cross over or it's not that, um, you know, they don't love me anymore. Just maybe I just didn't remember the dream to begin with. <laughs> like yeah. maybe I had it, I just didn't remember it. And I think that's in its own interesting question on, you know, remembering these dreams, but that allows a scientific explanation for people. Um, and one of the things too, was a lot of people thought it was grief. You know, grief was a reason, you know, for it. So like the more, you know, the more intense your grief, um, the more you will dream of these deceased. And, you know, there's a indirect relation with that. It's not really a direct relationship, And so Uh it really goes to, um, I believe, you know, sleep and, and awakenings with that. So grief is tied to dream recall. And so that's how it's indirect. And I think it's more because when you're grieving, you'll tend to wake up more, um, or maybe you will have, I think you just tend to wake up more. Like there is some research on that and trauma, you have Uh more scattered sleep. So I think that's sort of more the the reasoning for it, but everything is going through, you know, dream recall. And so there are ways to increase their dream recall. So if people do want to, you know, want more or want to catch one of those dreams, like that's something that's important. Then, you know, you could increase your recall rate by, you know, say like writing a journal or valuing the subject. A lot of times people don't value the subject until they want one of these dreams. And I think that's the, the hidden gold. And I think all this stuff is that. know when we talk about dreams a lot of times in our culture many people just don't care in western culture anyways many people just don't care like they do in other cultures but when it comes to these dreams what i find is a lot of people find them very important that they want to have them spiritual or not and i should mention i did look at spirituality and it wasn't a, a factor that predicted having these dreams so people who are dreaming of deceased are both spiritual and not which is i think a very beautiful thing to understand is that these that's why when people keep talking about these visitation dreams there's a whole other section of population that are also having these experiences that don't believe in that and so Uh you know what can we learn from these dreams given that um, as we move forward and there's there's a lot I can talk on that subject but I'm just glad that there's something now we can provide people to really minimize the discomfort that they have and there's solutions as we move forward to try to increase that recall rate and then also maybe even dream incubation I know you had uh, Dr. Barrett on there that talked about dream incubation a little bit on one of your recent episodes. And that's another thing to be able to, you know, try to think about what dream they'd want to have before bed, maybe to help catch it also.
1: Yeah. That that's beautiful. Just kind of lifting that weight too, to connect recalling this type of dream with dream recall in general. And also I feel like it opens up this possibility that, 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 something is happening behind the scenes. We, we might not be seeing it or remembering it, but that connection is there, which feels to me kind of like a beautiful parallel with what connection there may still be with our deceased loved ones anyway. It's sort of behind the scenes. We don't see it in the same way that we did before, but, but it's there. And so might the dreams be happening without us um, recalling them?
0: And then like, I go a step further and saying like, do you need to remember a dream for it to effectively help you? And Mm -hmm. I don't know, right? Like it's one of those things that I'm like, that's interesting. I don't know.
1: Well, you know, like your two powerful dreams that you just shared and waking up with those, the big impact of them, the full impact of them is, you know, I think probably more intense than what many people Wake with, but it's such a common thing to say, you'll feel better in the morning, right? To just just know that we sleep on it and something happens inside us while we're sleeping, and then things shift and change. And maybe those healing dreams are coming, we just don't remember them, but we feel better in the morning. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's very true. Um, so with the, you said some people see these dreams as a visitation, and some people don't look at them that way at all and i'm wondering what you've noticed with what the when people don't see them as a visitation what kinds of comfort or connection or anything else are they offering to the dreamer if they're not looking at it through that
0: lens so one of the the big things you know with that is just understanding grief and the process of grief and how important continuing bonds is to continue to acknowledge the losses but continue to remember our loved ones and in positive ways, for the most part, and keeping that connection. And so, a lot of people, if not, you know, they may go to the grave site and stuff like that. So, these dreams can be another way of maintaining a bond with the deceased. And you tend to see that because, so, with the the people who aren't spiritual, they'll still have these very positive encounters. Sometimes they're replaying old memories that they had together. And sometimes they're new memories or new moments together. And it's very loving and positive. The deceased will sometimes say that they're okay and they'll give, you know, comforting advice. Sometimes they're just, staying or walking together or doing like tasks together like they used to like you know sitting at a dinner table and just eating other times it's you know different ways they've loved and you know that can be with you know animals and you know as i did you know prenatal loss dreams so every kind of unique relationship you have with the individual will sort of be incorporated within that imagery in some way and a lot of times there's not much talking you know, like, but you know, when it is, it's, it's kind of pretty short. But so you see that and there's never any kind of mention of the afterlife. There's no mention of God, you don't see angels or anything like that. But the, the love, like there is this constant um, thing where the deceased is trying to reassure the person that they're still loved. And that even that they'll even say that they're okay, in many ways, mm. where when you see someone that's spiritual, they'll have something similar wake up and interpret it as a visitation but with someone who is not spiritual, they'll just say it was a nice moment in time. Sometimes they'll feel that it, it changed them in a way and it was a very uh, powerful dream, but they're not converted to believe it was the afterlife or a visitation. they will just say that it sits in the mystery of their life, but it was very beautiful, a very beautiful moment in their life, but it's not a visitation. And so that's why when we start categorizing this stuff, it's, it's very interesting to see, well, people are dreaming about very similar stuff. It's just the interpretation is very different when it comes to, if someone is spiritual, their spirituality will come into play. So if they're Christian, they may ask about heaven and the person will give an answer to that, or they may visit heaven and see the deceased, or you know they may see an angel with the deceased, stuff like that, that you wouldn't get with someone who's not spiritual. But the whole quality of the dream is still the same. It's just continuing bond, there's this love that's present. And I think there's something beautiful about the love that is very important because it's, it's that's the thing that's not changing. The interpretation is changing you know, across cultures and stuff, but this love, especially with those positive dreams are present. And I should mention when it comes to just looking at these dreams, I looked at how common they are for people. And so after Spell's loss, it was 86% of partners had a dream within the first 12 and 24 months. And within that, I, I want to say 92% of those people who dreamt, 92% had a positive dream um, and 40% had a negative dream. So it was more common actually to have a positive dream. And these results actually replicate with pet loss, with pet loss having 78% of people within the first six months had a dream. And then um, when it comes to what types of dreams, 90, 91% was positive and 26 had a negative experience. And with both of those, people who have negative experiences will also tended to report also having positive experiences, which is very interesting. Yeah. And I think what happens is that people have more of the negative dreams in the beginning as they deal with the the grief and the trauma, and as they work through some of those blocks, they will they'll have more of these positive dreams. But it's just showcasing too, like how unique these dreams are. So it's not like if you're spiritual, you get po- more positive dreams than someone else. Like no, like just in general, people are just having very unique experiences because I when I went into the field, I thought people would have more negative dreams just based on the research in general, dreams in general, but also after trauma, people have more negative dreams thinking they're consistently negative. But yet when it comes to these types of dreams where the deceased is present, people are having more positive dreams. And I think there's something interesting in that data too, on how it's shifting and it's doing something a little differently than other dreams are doing.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating that that it's so predominantly positive. And I am moved again by this consistency that no matter what the dreamers perspective is, that, that the strength of the love and the sense of a continued bond seems to run through whether there's heaven and angels or whether there's, you know, being together at home, just hanging out that that feeling of love pervades because, you know, through my own lens, through my own, um, interpretation that's the heart of it all anyway, (laughs) when we make a, you know, (laughs) is love that if we are feeling love, then we're, we're there. (laughs) We're in the big (laughs) it. So um, that's really, I I love hearing that.
0: Um, Uh, I'm glad. Hey, if you didn't, it'd be a wrong podcast to go on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I, I'm kind of curious to hear more about the negative dreams though, too. I mean, what does that mean? A negative dream?
0: Yeah. So this is just more based on the content there's can be like the distressing aspect of the dreams would be like based on an interpretation of it which we can go into that's really based on beliefs and culture and stuff like that but you know just the negative dreams. so this could be the deceased um, either dead dying or suffering from an illness in the dream or it could be the deceased chasing you or causing you harm or wanting to cause you harm in some way okay. within the dream and so when you look at that what's, what's interesting is that it's not as common um that you have and when you look at it, sort of the functions of these dreams. Well, these dreams are tied to, you know, increases of trauma and also, um, which is the big part and like unresolved feelings of guilt or blame. And when you look at the imagery, you can definitely see uh, a lot of that within the content of the dream. And so one of the, I shall give you an example. So one of the, the issues I have is that people will tend to, who are spiritual, will feel that, or we're told that these dreams are visitations, right? And so these dreams of the, that are negative can be just as vivid as any other dream. They can like just as real and they can sit in people's memories just as long. And so for some people who are spiritual, they'll take these negative dreams as a haunting. So it's a negative visitation Mm. and that can really complicate your, your grief process especially if well i think in all cases but especially if you have like a positive relationship with the person and all of a sudden you think something happened and now they're they hate you or now they're attacking you in some way or let's say you had a really horrible relationship with someone and now you think that they're attacking you from the afterlife so their their trauma or their pain or the way they used to control you in waking life are now is being controlled in the afterlife in a way too and so you know those are horrible things to have to sit with and work through usually on your own because people just don't talk about the subject so um but anyways so a good example of how these these dreams can reflect our our waking day struggles is uh so there's one lady who had a a dream of her spouse who died and the dream was this the individual basically came back and knocked at the door and she opened it and he said, I'm back, you know, <laughs> and she's like, she's like, how, how are you here? You, you should have died. And he's like, oh no, I, you know, I was, I was just in hiding. And now I'm back and I want to be together. And she's like, well, we can't be together. I'm dating someone, someone new now. And he's like, okay, well, the real, as long if you give me all the money that you inherited, well, then I'll leave you alone. And she's like, how can you be such a mean and heart, heartless person to not only like make me feel that you're dead, but then also you like, want all this back. And then what went on was in the deceased became more menacing and threatening her.
1: Mm. And so
0: she she had, this was a repeated dream and she thought it was a haunting, right? So like, how hard is that? Because now you're, you're not only trying to deal with the grief, but now you think that that person is haunting you. And so, you know, when you ask her, you know, was he a mean and heartless person waking life, the individual will say no, which makes it even more disturbing. Mm -hmm. And so you're trying to figure out how what's going on here. And, you know, the biggest thing, if you look at the two things in the imagery, there's first, she mentioned about the dating a new partner. And I can't imagine how difficult that is for anyone to try to love two people at the same time. Mm -hmm. So not only is someone, you know, someone died that you love, but now you're trying to open your heart to someone new at the same time, and you're not trying to close it. And with any new relationship, there's always new dynamics. And maybe that person doesn't want to hear about the other person. Maybe they don't want you to have a memorial or their photos on the wall. There's a lot of things that go on um, that can really challenge you loving you know, two people with an open heart. The other thing is the money. And when you ask her about the money that she inherited, she would say that it was actually the hardest thing that she had to deal with you know, from the loss because she thinks it was so unjust that he had, he worked his whole life to make this money and she's the one that gets to enjoy it. And so it was really this like belief that she didn't like really deserve the money, but also the injustice of life. And and so what the, when you look at the dream, you sort of realize what areas that a therapist or someone would need to actually work, help her work through, because those are huge blocks that seem to be um, present in her life that she's not working through. And that's so like, as much as negative dreams are negative, they can be very helpful as we work with clients, because there's just a lot of rich detail on, you know, things that maybe they don't even know that they're even dealing with because the mind's so great at avoidance and changing how we see things and how we see ourselves that, you know, it could be a present issue. They just don't really fully understand it. And they haven't really worked through it to the extent that maybe they thought they have.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
0: it's a great thing for people to be able to explore those issues.
1: Yeah. Well, I think all of our dreams reveal things to us like that. And I'm even wondering about, even if I were, if this were my dream, if I were still to want to see it as some kind of visitation, like almost like he could take that form to help me see these things. Like it could be coming as a, as a supportive revelation, you know, here's, here's what you're dealing
0: with. It's like the opposite, right? Yeah. Yeah. the other thing is some people will take it as an actual visitation and will say that, no, that, that actually was the deceased because the deceased, like us, will continue to miss the other person that's living. Mm. And so they actually want you to die in a way or want you to, you know, um, to get back together kind of thing
1: mm. in
0: different ways. So one would say in a different culture that the person actually wants you to die so they can be together. Um, but you just, you know, then you have to sort of come up with a reason why you shouldn't die. But it's just like the soul isn't as loving as I think some people tend in our culture, I think, or in the Christian culture tend to sort of um, put it on. Other cultures will uh, will make the soul very similar to what a human would be with an ego and all that sort of stuff where they want you back because they desire you. Oh, interesting. Um, and, yeah. And so it's just understanding these little nuances, how it's very in, important to understand like who you're talking to, because it changes the whole way you would interact with that dream and, and understand why they're suffering so much. Yeah. And the other thing, you know, talk about, you know, just, you know, <laughs> topics on the subject. Yeah. Um. Pe- people will tend to like categorize these dreams. And, you know, I, one of my big things, not only about the research, but to also pre- like how do you to learn and teach people how to provide a safe space for people to share these dreams. And I know people aren't doing it like maliciously, but it's complicating people's lives in different ways that they just don't know about. And so when people have categories on when a, vis- a dream is a visitation or not, oh yeah, it, it always, you know, it, it, it frustrates me in many ways because they're doing injustice to a lot of the dreams that people are having that they take as a visitation that because of the criteria, it doesn't fit. And what happens there is people then question: Was that dream really a visitation? And that dream for them would have been the thing that they held on to to get through their grief. So now they're challenging something that they thought was true and fact. But now all of a sudden, people are changing their their belief, and now they don't know anymore. And mm. and one of those dreams would be like not maybe not a vivid dream, but maybe the deceased is just in the dream and they're just in the background somewhere. And you know that was it. But they help. They people can hold hold on to that dream as a thing that allows them to proceed. And I said, if it's comforting, you you, have to allow them to do that. But we can't put boxes around when things are and when things aren't just because it complicates people in a lot of different ways. And it also limits people on valuing the subject. So when we start boxing things up, someone that you know, it's maybe not or new to the field, they'll see that and they're like, oh, this like this topic is now you know kind of tainted in a way because it's not coming out of from a space space where anyone from spiritual or not can actually learn and, and talk about the subject. Now there's like, oh, this is all the subject is about. Everything uh-huh. else is, is meaningless. So it's just putting it out there and understanding that we can't we can't make any kind of um, criteria for these dreams for the most part because I've seen you know, even to like negative dreams, being visitations for people. And like, that's part of their culture. Like if you start putting boxes up around, like what culture are you really talking to? And that can offend a lot of other people. So it's just really sitting back and realizing we don't know only the dreamer knows. And let's talk to them if they have questions about it, well, we can work through that, that distress and whatever that is. But me, I can't put a box around anyone's dream. Um, It's just, it, it disvalues their own culture and their own belief structure and, you know, and it can complicate their grief in many ways. So now, so I've learned along the way and that's what one of the things I've seen a lot of, you know, when I first started the field and as I continue, that people keep trying to put boxes around things. I know it's easier because people do have questions about the topic a lot, but it's just allowing people to sit in the mystery. And I always say, if, you know, is it comforting? Yes. Well then if it's comforting, just follow your heart. You know, if it's not comforting, let's work on the distress and see if we can work through that in some way. But you know, I just always allow the dreamer to really take it for what it is for their heart, um, especially if it's comforting.
1: That's so important. I'm really glad you articulated all of that. You know, that 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 urge to categorize everything, and you use that phrase a couple times, can complicate someone's grief, and that's not what we want to do. It's already complicated and hard, and to um, to take away that sense of comfort is another loss. There's no, I don't see any good that could come from that.
0: No. And, and a lot of the types of people talk about too, like, you know, words are spoken Well, people who have pets will have dreams and words aren't spoken very often. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so it's like understanding that there's other types of losses other than human loss, even miscarriages, where these dreams will be different and people will see them a little differently and just understand there's a vastness that of research and the vastness of experiences people are having and just realize that we don't really know and it's okay not to know. And, to sit with that you know there is some new research coming out which is great but we just still don't know all the answers there's not a lot of people investigating the topic and you know hopefully that's changing as we move forward but yeah just like how do how do we provide a safe space and just keep our own belief structures and judgments at bay as we listen to what the person is dealing with especially said like in a time of grief where they're already probably being minimized in mm-hmm. our culture
1: hmm so I'm really intrigued to hear you talk about the statistics of who's having which type of dream and whether that correlates with how spiritual they are, how well they remember their dreams. Right? This this methodical, statistical way of looking at it, and then hearing you say things like "sit in the mystery" and create a <laughs> safe space, um, it definitely resonates with me. I I exist in all those ways of thinking too, and I'm curious. What, so if you have such a strong sense of being in, you know, willing to sit in the mystery and your motivation is to create a safe space, what kinds of things do you think we can research? What do you think the research can offer us?
0: Well, the first thing that it was, is even a thing, right? That it's a phenomenon that we need to sort of sit with because Uh in the the thanatology, any kind of briefment program, they don't talk about the subject. And Mm which is a sad thing. And so, you know, for me as a researcher, I'm like, how can we validate it? Well, I could do qualitative work, which people don't care for <laughs> for much of the time. So you have to sort of find a way to quantify the results to make it pleasing for those people who have the keys to the kingdom, and that's the best way to put it, who are running the show in these different organizations to get them to see the importance. So the first thing was just to understand, are they even frequent? Because people weren't talking about them right? Like I didn't share, many people don't share these experiences I've learned as I move forward, just because people don't want to, for many reasons, they don't want to be judged and they don't want to, someone to provide a different meaning to it. Cause a lot of these dreams can be very sacred to people.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, even the negative
0: dreams, people just don't want maybe to, for people to say they're not, you know, there's that they're not over the loss, quote unquote, like they're still working through it. And like, that's almost like a negative thing for a lot of people, but like for, um, so for that, to this, for, one of the biggest things was to just get the that, those kind of numbers and to get like 86% like after, you know, to have at least one dream within the first, you know, 12, 24 months and spells of loss, that's like crazy. Like that's yeah. like <laughs> so many people. Yeah. And then even after pet loss, 78% in the first, you know, six months, you start seeing these numbers. You really notice how common it is. And even with children, there's one study done. It was 55% of, of kids at this camp had a dream of the deceased parent and so we start, you know, doing even like pregnancy loss. So miscarriage, it was 57% after miscarriage. Mm. And so really any type of, you know, loss, people are going to experience these dreams. And so the first thing was to sort of understand how frequent it is to see, is this an important topic? Yes. Okay. What are the experiences? And I sort of talk about how majority of them are very positive. And then it comes to what are the functions of these? And that's what I looked at in my PhD and I looked at four different studies and, really under, try to understand, you know, what's going on here. And the, the biggest thing there is actually you could separate into like three functions. The first one is to process trauma. And this is where you get those negative dreams of them dying again,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is so common after, you know, any form of trauma um, that people go through. But after loss, they'll, some people have that type of dream, where it's the exact image of what they saw. And then there's those other dreams when it comes to processing trauma where it's the deceased is dying in a different way that they they weren't in waking life and so you know something's being changed in the mind to try to process it other times there's this you know theme where like they're feeling helpless so the individual suffering and they can't help them they're stuck in you know quicksand or something or there's a wall blocking them and they just have to sort of witness the suffering going on as helplessness and so, you know, from there, there's also this emotion regulation. So, what happened with me? Very beautiful dream. All of a sudden, I was able to sort of regulate my emotions again. And for me, that's you know, that's you know, I was depressed, I was stuck in this sort of you know, numbing state. But that dream allowed me to have happiness again. I was able to cry again too. So it really helped me regulate it. And when we regulate our emotions, well, we can problem solve differently. We can look at the the thing differently. So it's a very useful thing when it comes to processing grief. Then the other thing when it comes to regulating our emotions that people don't forget about, I think a lot of people just look at positive dreams, but these negative dreams, too, can actually be very beneficial in regulating emotions if we're avoiding the loss. So if we uh, we had the, the loss, we avoid it. It's a lot of people's personality styles when it comes to you know, working through something, we just try to avoid it. Well, the individual dying again or something like that. Could actually allow the person to reflect on the the truth of what actually happened, and so that can actually provide that sadness, which they're actually avoiding. So there's there's something there, and then the last is sort of these continuing bonds. And in the research, you know, people have found that the continuing bonds do happen, and the content that's most likely for that is the one-on-one encounters, and that those dreams are comforting. They'll have they'll feel that like it's more of a continuing bond experience, you know, with that. But you know, on top of that, it's like there's other grief work that can be done from answering i said answering questions sometimes people get um or able to ask for forgiveness if something happened or sometimes they get um, they get an apology especially so like i've seen some after suicide those dreams are you know always you know heartbreaking anyways but yeah. the imagery is very interesting because sometimes the individual has a question of the why and the dreams can have the deceased answering that question which can be so helpful for the person to move forward in the loss and the healing because now that question is answered to them in many ways or sometimes the deceased will apologize for for doing that and so like there's there's a lot of tools and a lot of things that are going on in these dreams that can actually be very beneficial for people as they move move forward and so for me as the the researcher it was just really get people talking about this stuff and there's so many more places you can go with the research but in my mind right now i'm like we have enough to sort of just validate that these experiences occur, how unique they are, and also the issues that arise from the different interpretations of the dreams and the different functions of the dreams that a lot of people just in that support the grief, grieving individual, just doesn't know. And so that's where a lot of my focus has shifted now, because it's great to do research, but if no one knows about it, what's the point? And so (laughs) now it's about, right, like, now it's about understanding I did this for people to know about it. So there's a lot more studies you could do that's just off my work and replicating even more. Um, because usually when you find some answers, you get a ton more answer questions that come out of that. And yeah, you know, and that's what I've got too, especially like even at pregnancy loss. Like I when I first started to do that, I was I was just intrigued. So I didn't really know what would happen. Like, do they dream of the of the child or not? Like, is that even something? Because they never had a really that bond was never let's say that physical, they hadn't had like a lot of time communicating with them. Like you would, you know, um, uh, like a spouse or a pet, like you have that physical time. You have, a, you know, the, the woman would have it within the, their womb, but like the, the man wouldn't really, or the, the partner wouldn't really have that. And so what you find is that actually, you know, both partner and carrier, so the mother would, um, they have dreams very similar. Wow. in the sense of content, and, well, yeah, content and frequency. Uh, and they can be positive or negative. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's the very interesting. And a lot of times when it comes to those positive dreams, they are dreaming of the child they've never actually saw. So they're dreaming about them maybe when they're, you know, a newborn and they're, you know, bringing to the family or when they're one or two and they're learning how to walk. Other times it's, you know, they're a teenager and they're talking. It's not as frequent that you get that. But when the deceased does talk, so the child does talk, they're usually reaffirming the ones I've seen anyways. They reaffirm the mother that it wasn't their fault. Mm. And, you know, you start really seeing the challenges that these different, you know, people go through and these different types of loss. And I think that's also very important because you can learn a lot about the grieving process through these dreams that you can't learn any other way. And so for me, um, that's really, you know, where I am. And and if people want to actually like look at the, the research, it's out there. And, you know, I don't, I usually don't go too in depth into the content because it's kind of dry for a lot of people, but <laughs> it is, but it is out there if they, people want to, to read about it.
1: Okay. Wow. This is so fascinating, Joshua. I th- I really, that was a great answer. I see how it's all interwoven, you know, that, that, the validation and the information you can get through the research and how it's, Just like every loss is unique, every dream and experience with the dream is also a whole human experience. And it's so much bigger than what we can capture in the research, but it's so helpful to know what's happening to other spouses or parents, you know, who who are going through something like that. And I know that on your podcast, you've organized your episodes a little bit so that if someone wanted to hear stories, for example, of dreams after losing someone to suicide or losing a child or losing a sibling, they could um, find them that way. And I think getting to hear all those stories can be another way to feel how important and how normal and how shared these types of dreams are. So we're getting close to when we'll wrap up, but I know you have more example dreams and more thoughts on types of dreams and dream themes. Is there anything else you'd like to share with listeners before we wrap up?
0: So there's one more theme actually that we haven't talked about that I want to talk about that really relates to asking about these dreams and people's beliefs. And it's called Come Join Me. Patricia Garfield, you know, talked about this in her book, The Dream Messenger, which is a great book on just you know these great dreams in general. And she sort of saw these dreams in her practice being related to trauma and people with high suicide ideation. There wasn't really much research in that area. And so for me, I've collected like over a thousand dreams and I've only seen three of these. And when I when I really captured those three, what was interesting is that they were actually related to high forms of trauma, like the highest forms. And so for me, there's, there's some truth to what, you know, Patricia Garfield sort of has found in her book that you know, with these kinds of dreams called come join me, it's an indication of mental health um, concern. And it could be suicide ideation, it could be high forms of trauma, but you also see it across cultures. So the Toraja people in Indonesia have this um, belief that if, uh, if you have one of those types of themes, it means you're going to die soon. And so for me, when you start putting those together, people who have trauma will probably die quicker, especially in your hunter gather society, and you're walking around, but also, you may kill yourself, right? Like in that way, too, if you have one of those dreams, just because the heaviness of the grief. And so I want to that new research has come out that people with complicated grief can have more of these themes uh, within there. And so when you look at these themes, they're not always negative. And so um, the come join me a lot of times it is the deceased trying to drag you to the afterlife in some way. But it's not all the time. I think this is when we come back to using discernment on how we, you know, when we talk about these dreams, we have to really ask, um, we can't categorize these dreams because some of these are actually very positive dreams where the deceased is healthy and they're basically trying to convince the person to kill themselves, to join them in the afterlife. And it's the only way for them to be together. And Mm -hmm. I can already understand, I can already sort of see that some people probably have killed themselves because they had a dream like that. And so by asking about these dreams, before we label them and categorize them as visitation or not, let's ask first, because if you start saying it's a visitation, it can actually produce a cause you don't want. And so that's why there's a lot of different factors when it comes to these dreams we just need to be aware of. And so for as people and as more concern in our culture, when it comes to mental health issues, we need to start asking about these dreams because these these types of dreams, those come join me dreams are definitely a red flag of that the person needs help in some way.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's, that feels really important. And I just want to highlight what you said about if there's a dream like that, not only to pay attention to it and to pay attention to the dreamer, but that trying to tick off the boxes or say whether that's a visitation or whether that's something that, you know, is some kind of um, real I don't know if real is the right word, but a message that should be heeded. Like we have to be very conscientious about, about that.
0: Well, in all dreams, when I talk to people, it's just using discernment because there's so many theories out there, dream theories and it's based and you can't trust them all. And it's based on, you know, using sound judgment, as much as it is the theory Use sound judgment and understand what it, it's, it's doing. And if you need to work with someone, work with someone, to try to understand it. But yeah, well, if you start taking these, especially as a visitation and stuff, it could lead you into a direction that, you know, that you don't want to be in.
1: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So I have more questions, just like you said, after good research or good conversation, we have more questions, but um, as we're coming towards the end of our time, if anyone wants to learn more about all this, listen to your podcast, see your research or connect with you, where can they find you online?
0: Well, they can go to griefdreams.ca and on there said so there's a, a lot of tabs and different things, common questions. They say, we, I think we only talked about two or three common questions. There's like eight or nine that I put up there. And then also there's an online training course for people who want to learn more about these dreams and how they're, they change across cultures. There's that on there, which I'm really excited for because people around the world now can actually learn about the subject and I don't need to actually fly down. So it just gives another way for people to educate themselves if they work with the bereaved. I think it'd be very important. And then you can find the grief dreams podcast on any kind of platform out there. And then I'm on Instagram, which I love because I get to post a lot of these dreams. Mm, people, cool. People share so people can get an understanding of like what the content is uh, within them. And then I'm also on clubhouse at grief dreams. Okay. And I should actually, there's another thing I should mention too. I, I just do. Um, I do one-on-one consulting for people who have questions in this area, and sometimes they have a negative dream that they want to sort of understand a little bit more. And so I've seen like thousands of dreams and it's just, you know, using my knowledge of just the field so far, I I provide that for people to really try to help them and give them some guidance from an academic perspective on what these dreams could represent.
1: Mm. Okay. What a great offering, all of that. I'll link to everything you just shared and encourage people to reach out to you thank you so much for everything you shared today this was a wonderful conversation
0: well thank you for having me it's always a a pleasure to be on a podcast that values these dreams and you already value dreams in general so it's just nice to be able to uh, talk about something i said like i'm guessing you learned a little bit about too and i know the one thing i really want to talk about that we didn't get a chance to was about how these dreams have um are showing up in the pandemic oh yeah doctor Barry talked a little bit about the negative dreams but there's a lot of beautiful dreams that are actually occurring too. Um so I'll just leave it at that and then I'll give you there's two articles that were published from one okay. CBC, the other one was uh, PBS Next Avenue. So you can get those in the show notes, so people can learn more about those.
1: All right. <laughs> That'll be just a teaser for all the beautiful dreams and then yes, we'll get we'll get everybody those links. That sounds great. Thanks for listening. I really can't wait to hear what you thought about this one and i know joshua would love to hear too so please come leave a comment on the show notes at the dreamersden.org 30 let me know if you have had a dream like we talked about or if you have questions about this kind of dream and also i'd like to know what you think about this idea of putting dreams into a box or categorizing dreams and how you like to look at that. You can also find links to the articles Joshua mentioned about beautiful dreams happening during the pandemic. Those articles do have some really moving stories and Joshua's podcast abounds with moving stories. So find all those links and how to reach Joshua at thedreamersden.org 30. I have another very special conversation for you coming up on the full moon. Until then, wishing you deep dreams.